many of you are wearing open toe shoes this morning? <clears throat> I'm wearing double socks because my feet and toes are bruised and bleeding after going through this lesson on my own. So, yeah. Um, the series, you, as you know, is worldliness, and we go through a variety of different topics. Um, yes, I am a bit of a walker, so sorry, Nate, if you can't hear me the whole time. Talk loud. Talk loud? I, that I can do. So, um, my topic, or the chapter that I am covering, is God, my heart, and media. So, how many of you guys have a phone? Yeah? How many of you have a smartphone? How many have a flip phone? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many of you used to have a flip phone? But, media is not just your phone. Who? And I'll take a couple of uh, quick answers here. When we think of media, what comes to mind? CNN. CNN. <laughs> Anybody else? Facebook. Facebook. What else? Movies. Anybody over the age of 60 in here remember something that came on a paper with ink on it? <laughs> Front door every morning? Yeah. Newspaper, media, magazines. Even billboards can be considered media. Anything that transmits any type of statement or message is media. That can be somebody, even somebody's tattoo on their arm that you walk by and read at Walmart. Media. Um, exactly. So, again, anything that you see that might influence your train of thought. So... When's the last time you read somebody's tattoo? <laughs> I mean, Walmart all the time. Yeah, the ink I was used to was on paper, not on my own. But. Anyway, the second part of the topic is God, my heart, and media. Media, you know, we see everywhere. My heart is where the problem starts to lie in. What do we know about our heart? And I'm giving you a cheat sheet right here. Deceitful, above all things, desperately sick, we can, who can understand it? So, early on, we have to have an understanding of where our heart is, where is it in the right place, what, how are we taking the biblical worldview that we should have and applying it to basically everything from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. Um, the author opened up with this little story where the guy wakes up, to the radio going with the news, you know, hammering you with whatever happened yesterday or overnight. You progress, you know, in the shower. You Now you get the weather report as you're getting ready in the morning. And then you're sitting there at breakfast and, you know, maybe CNN, Fox News, whoever, whatever, ESPN is going. So you're getting that. You jump in the car. Now you've got the radio going. You get to work. Maybe, you know, you're, you have a job where you can actually have radio going in the background, or maybe you can wear an ear pod or something like that. And so you're constantly going. Pick up the kids after school, radio's in the car again. He even alluded to when you pick up your kid at soccer, and they jump in, and then they pop in whatever the latest Disney disc is, and they watch that in the back of the minivan on the way home. And then you get home, and they pop down in front of the TV. Hopefully not. But as you move along through the day, we are constantly getting hammered with something. Now, when you go back and look, Scripture, what does God tell us? Be still. Listen. Not to, you know, whoever's on the radio, whatever, 
Not that they are bad in and of themselves. Media itself is not a bad thing. It's how you use it. It's the same reason that they don't take the car and throw it in jail for 20 years if the drunk driver is the one that killed someone. Media in and of itself is not, you know, I've asked a couple other people, and you get, you know, you say, well, what, what is media? And, and you get, you know, Fox News or sports radio or whatever. They associate media more with who it is rather than what it is. It's use because we know there is good use. I mean, you've got people like Transworld Radio piping, preaching all the time into China and areas where you can't. That's a media. But how are we using that? And how, more importantly, how are we allowing it to use us is where the trouble starts to rise. So, um, let me rearrange a couple of these being this time. Um, I want to jump in. If you guys want to turn to Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. Now, we're not going to cover <clears throat> all 14 verses. There are a couple that really stuck out that they kind of base this chapter off of. But I will start reading while you guys are looking. And 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, <coughs> you'll notice in the second slide, I have two that are bold. That was not in my original text. Probably not in yours either. Those two are... Part of the point that he brings out in this chapter, the trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, which is the overarching theme, and then he gets a little more specific with things like the shameful things to even speak of that are done in secret. So, okay, we already hit that one. Couple of, I'm a stats guy. I'm a baseball guy, so I love stats. But I went and looked up some of the things, you know, bad media, more or less, you know, and again, you know, we say media in and of itself may not be bad, but how is it used? Facebook has 200, sorry, 2.93 billion active users. Now, when you take into account the world population is just under 8 billion and 2.9 billion have no internet you're looking at more of a 2.93 out of 5 billion people have an active Facebook account. So 60% of the world has a Facebook account. Now, again, what you're posting may or may not be bad. But another thing, social media, 250 
just a quick search, 250 social media apps out there for you to converse back and forth, leave all your, you know, glorifying and godly comments on. Um, but as we move along, this one kind of really disturbed me, but this was April of 2020. Now, if you knew, remember, anybody remember April of 2020? Yeah? Are you trying not to? But um, world's top adult sites had 14 and a half billion views just in April, not the rest of the month. Now, me, again, working down the stats. That's $483 billion per day, $20 million per hour, and 335,000 visits per minute. Per minute. I didn't break it down to seconds because it was already ridiculous. But, again, that, that hurts. I mean, just to think that there are that many people out there just infested with that but moving on going a little old school 2019 there were still 6700 newspapers in circulation in the u.s um now there are 1700 tv stations in the u.s so you can see where media just inundates there is so much out there so much opportunity to be into something um this statement kind of smacks you in the side of the head a little bit, but Kent Hughes, one of the guys that gets kind of quoted through the book here, is media slash television has greater power over the lives of most Americans than any educational system, government, or church. I mean, when you think about that and you think what they're piping over the airwaves and they're printing and sticking in your mailbox or you know they're publishing and putting out here for everybody to be able to see, that's huge. So what do we need to remember? What do we have to be aware of? We must remember that glorifying God is an intentional pursuit. It does not just happen. And I love this part. It says, no one accidentally drifts into holiness. You know, we mature purposefully one choice at a time. So the choice of what we do as we are engaging media, as we are seeing all these things coming in and going out, are we intentionally filtering? Things that, you know, as, as a father on Father's Day, it's, it's a great privilege to know that I can have a significant influence on what my kids see or what my kids saw or, you know, what I am exposing them to. <coughs> so, um, technology has come a long way, but when you think about it, a lot of the substance that is part of media is still the same. I mean... When you think back to in the garden, the message that the you know serpent brought to Eve, questioning God, questioning truth, questioning what should you be doing. Most cases, when you're listening or reading or or you know whatever the media source or type is, what are they doing? They're not glorifying God. I mean, now, if you're listening to certain things, yes, it will. But just in general across the board, your neighbors, you know, your coworkers, everybody that you pass going up and down the road, they probably don't have their radio tuned to someone preaching the gospel or someone singing God's praises in song. Most likely, they are slamming somebody else, government, whoever, whatever, big corp, gossip, all that stuff. That's the stuff we have to watch not to allow to affect our heart. 
not to get in our head and then we become part of that conversation. Hopefully we steer it the other way. And like I said, um, any of you guys that know me, you know I'm a talker, um, plain and simple. But I like to engage people, and so I like to talk. But I have to be careful what the topic of conversation is. You know, if you see it drifting, like working with these kids at school, they'll talk about all kinds of stuff. And sometimes, you know, conversation may start to turn. And if I'm there, I'll say, okay, let's bring it back. You know, don't. I can see two steps ahead where this may get ugly. Let's rein it back because, you know, and then, of course, I'll throw something at them. You know, every word that comes out of your mouth should be, you know, and they're like, okay, yeah. But ultimately, I have to do the same thing. You know, I get into conversation with certain people. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday about baseball, and we talked for probably 20 minutes. Um, We both, he's also uh, another guy that goes to church here, but that doesn't justify the fact that we weren't, we were not talking negatively about anybody, but I don't remember anything in that conversation that was glorifying. So, I'm not saying you can't talk about neutral subjects. I'm just saying, and like I said, it, it hit hard on me because I'm always looking for new information. When I was going through this chapter, what have I been doing? What am I, you know, conveying to the people around me? Am I, when I filter things, you know, through my ears, through my eyes, is that filter here before it comes out of my mouth if I'm reiterating it to somebody else? Is it something I should even be saying to somebody else? Is it, you know, presenting Christ in my life? Um, <clears throat> another statement that he had that is interesting is he said, I believe that the challenge of living with popular culture may well be as serious for modern Christians as persecution and plagues were for the saints of early centuries. Enemies that come loudly and visibly are usually much easier to fight than those that are undetectable. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement when you think that he's comparing the persecution of the early church, the early Christians, to what we have today. You know, you couldn't go out to the marketplace without worrying for your life in some area. Sorry, eras. So, his connection here is that no matter, you turn on the radio, the TV, whatever, there's a constant inundation against the things of God. Against speaking actual truth, not just what somebody else opinionated into truth. Um, So... In one sense, yes, I can see exactly where he's coming from because, again, you can't go anywhere without hearing a worldly worldview that does not line up with Scripture. So, as we're, as we're moving forward here, the um, watching unwatchingly was one of the uh, topics that he had. And we're moving, this one's uh, watching with immunity. But, unwatchingly, many times we do not consciously think about how God's word applies to entertainment, choices, actively and passively. Sometimes, you know, we'll have the TV on or whatever just as background noise. What we don't realize, or the radio, what we don't realize is your brain is still picking up. It's kind of like, you know, when you're having that conversation with your wife or somebody, and you don't think the kids are listening, 
And then like three days later, you get this statement. You know, hey, remember when you guys said, and I'm like, you were not part of that conversation. Um, but yeah, and my daughter would kill me if she knew I was telling you this, but her senior quote in her yearbook, she was a quiet young individual in class, always nice. But Miss Linton is shaking her head, so I'm, I'm, I got some good justification there. Um, her senior quote was, hey, you remember the time you said dot, dot, dot? Well, I do. And they came, yeah, she was one of those people because they came to her for the class history and she was remembering things from third grade that people didn't remember at all. But, again, you know, your brain picks those things up. When that background noise is going or you hear part of someone else's conversation or something like that at work, things like that, hopefully not at our work, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but just in general, your brain is always recording, whether you are conscious, or consciously aware or trying to remember it or not. So what you've got going may or may not influence what you think about something later on because of what you heard while you weren't actively listening. So... Um, Moving to immunity, and I was—I should have thrown Nate's slide up from last week where he had the different categories, disregarding and, and whatnot. But Paul to Timothy at this point was talking about staying in the fight actively, being someone that was consciously, you know, engaging, constantly filtering, things like that. So, you know... We may say, oh, well, I've been saved for 30 years, or I go to church every time the door is open, whatever. Immunity is not really, you know, there's not a vaccine for that. God doesn't stick you in the arm, pull the trigger, and hey, you're good. No. What happens is we start to feel that way, and it dulls our sensitivity to the things we're hearing. We don't, you know, oh, well, I never thought that anyway, so I'm, I'm good. I can just, But. After a while, it just keeps hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering, and that dulled sensitivity may cause you to not think in a certain way during a conversation. And it may not be that you don't give a proper answer. It may just be that it just doesn't come to mind and you don't respond at all. But he's telling Timothy here, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good war, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So keeping that conscience from dulling toward the things of the world, you know, staying acute and alert. Um, he further continues on uh, a couple chapters later and says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That is not something we want. We do not want a seared conscience. We don't want something that is unable to respond or reply appropriately to a worldly situation. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, one of the main, well, I won't say main, one of the secondary points that he brought out as well with this immunity one is just because you watch something, maybe you watch crime shows or whatever or and you say oh well you know the guy committed six murders in this thing but they caught him at the end i'm not going to go out and kill anybody well one of his statements was 
Sanctification is more than simply not doing what we see or hear. You know, sure, most people are not going to go out and rob a bank. Most people are not going to go out and have, you know, an affair. Nobody's going to, you know, hopefully nobody here is going to go out and kill somebody. But just because you're not going to do it doesn't mean that you're immune to the influence that it might have. So, (coughs) the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you remember, again, what was it Paul says? You know, I don't do the things I want to do and I'm doing the things that I should don't want to do. That's, you know, we see that all the time. I'll be honest, I see that in my life. You know, I, there are things that I know I should be doing and I don't always do it. Um, sometimes we blame it on a full schedule. Sometimes we blame it on work or family or friends or whoever or whatever. But ultimately, you know, we are responsible for how we use our time, how we, what we're doing, watching, writing, seeing, speaking. All that stuff comes into play. Now, um, and this is a brief topic here. Uh, what do most people scream when you start setting up a checklist of rules? Legalism, right. Now, if I'm setting up, or anybody other than Christ is setting up a checklist of rules, usually we put ourselves at the middle. So anybody that's doing anything other than that, you know, they're either going to be legalistic or either they're going to be worldly. You know, we can't be the line in the sand. That must be Scripture. So, Scripture has to be the measure of our standard. Obedience comes from grace and gratitude for the gospel. A lot of times I think, I forget that. We forget that. Um, Basically, his quick definition was legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through the obedience to God. In other words, legalist is anyone who behaves as if they can earn God's approval and forgiveness through personal performance. So, again, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and pull out a new sheet. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure, you know, I tell the kids about Jesus today. I'm not going to cut people off in traffic. I'm not going to, you know, get mad if so-and-so does this at work again, you know. So, that's not the standard we're looking at here. Um, this to me, was the main, one of the, probably the top two main points out of this chapter. Coram Deo. And the definition is before the face of God. Now, what, you know, with this, what are we keeping in mind? You know, what I do, does this help me show a fear of God that I should have as a Christian? Proverbs 1.7. Anybody know that one? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, you know, how does or will this affect the way that we engage our activities? You know, with an understanding that we really do not have a private life. Because God is always with us. Always watching. Always, you know, some people say, oh, well, geez, that sounds like a big brother kind of thing. Well, you know what? He gave us a, an existence. He's our creator. He's our savior. Guess what? He gets to call the shots. So he's there. But, 
If we go through our day with the understanding that everything we do, think, say, feel is before the face of God, it changes the way you think about the things that you do. Um, I read the book about two weeks ago and have tried to actively and consciously keep this in mind for the last couple weeks. And I'll be honest, there are times that I have, that flag has gone up and I'm like, you know what? Let's go do something else. You know, cut this off. Okay, I'm not going to read that. Let's go read this. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes that's kind of tough for me because as a baseball guy, I usually watch a couple games a week. And as most people complain about, some of them are three hours long. Could I be doing something else with that time? Absolutely. Is it detrimental to my Christian walk? At times it could be because it keeps me from reading Scripture if I haven't already done that today or, you know, finishing the book or something like that. So, again, you know, it's not that media is bad. It's how we use it, how we let it influence us. Um, You know, a couple of other ones down here that he brought up. Would we watch this if we were reminded God was sitting beside us? You know, would we laugh at something that's funny if he was standing right there beside us around the circle? You know, would we post that picture, make that comment, knowing that he is reading it as we post it? Something we have to remember. Again, Paul's hitting us again here. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So, just because, and I have to remind the kids of this all the time, just because you can do something doesn't mean you are supposed to do something. Um, You know, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So again, you know, you say, oh, well, you know, I'm forgiven, so I'm covered, I'm good. But are you supposed to be looking for, you know, here's the line, how close can I lean over it and still be good, be okay? Or are we supposed to say, okay, everything I'm doing I need to question, am I glorifying God, is this going to be uplifting to my heart, to what I say, is it going to be uplifting to the people around me? Am I gossiping about somebody else, you know, and this is going to be a problem now, especially at work or, you know, probably not at home. But you you go do your gossiping from home with Mark. Um, But (laughs) so the other point to this was the second part, discerning what pleases the Lord. So watch what they do. You know, what are they doing? You know, we're told to watch out for wolves and Usually in that context, you, it's talked about false teachers, false prophets, things like that. That's the understanding that you have. But on the flip side, you also have to keep in mind that's the media because they attack a biblical worldview all the time. You know, does this show or movie portray an adulterous or covetous event on screen? Okay, probably shouldn't be there watching that. Or maybe off screen. So now there's sort of an implied action. Well, if you go back and look at Leviticus 20, it calls for stoning. Now, how many people have watched the movie, not a biblically-based movie, where something like that might happen, and then by the end of the movie, they've been taken out and stoned? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
<laughs> Wrong kind of stoning there. <laughs> um, but discerning what pleases the Lord requires critically evaluating media content at all times. So again, you know, even that implied understanding, knowing in the back of your mind what happened can get you into the wrong mindset. Um, so, usually, and this goes back to, and I did not put this one up here, Habakkuk 1.13. One of the reasons that that becomes an issue is because most of the time we do not have a healthy understanding of the holiness of God, who, as Habakkuk says, is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. If we're working toward that end, we're going to be in a much better place. But if we're, you know, consistently, what's this, what's that, you know, the other, um, maybe that's okay. Okay, I just won't, I'll fast forward through this part. If you're fast forwarding through a part, you probably already figured out what was going to happen anyway. You're just not actively watching what it is that was there. Um, Now, contrary to what you may have heard, words matter. And I don't have time because we are pretty much out of time. But I have a video that Nate sent me. And I won't tell you the company. Some of you may figure it out. But they put a family on the couch. And they have about 30 people with paintball guns. And each paintball represents a word that I know most of you would never say. um, Or words. And what they do is they go from the very first word profanity, whatever you want to call it, in 1939, which was in Gone with the Wind, if anybody remembers, to the movie that has the most profanity and innuendo and sexual content since 2013, I think. And basically, in the process, they are just hammering this family with paintballs because each paintball is a word and words have impact. That is the whole point of their commercial i just summarized it it's like a three minute commercial but ultimately if as we go into this you know we see no filthiness no foolish talk if we're forbidden to speak filthiness and crude humor then we're prohibited from listening as well so that's not always something that we um kind of think we're like oh well i didn't say it so it's okay but remember there is a rating system but it's not a biblical standard rating system so Again, you know, PG, and and it's kind of funny if you go back and look, even PG movies when I was in high school, I went back and kind of looked, there's content in there that should not have been. And some of it even now, oddly enough, would be um, PG-13. But last two things right at the end here. Um, Is it, what do we test it against? Is it beneficial, not just permissible? Are we abstaining from evil? 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Is there an evil message or method being promoted? You know, the world loves to sneak stuff in. Um, Does what I am doing glorify God? If that becomes our standard, then a lot of this other stuff is going to go by the wayside and you're going to be amazed at how much clearer your mind is, how better you can engage conversation, media, and whatever. Um, Accountability is a blessing, not a burden. And the last two here, and whatever you do in word, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So if we watch Coram Deo, 
in the face of God, before the face of God, it leads us to acting Coram Deo. Now it takes some work. And that's, that's part of our sanctification. We're moving toward this. But ultimately, if that becomes our new starting point, everything else will become easier, and our thought process, heart, conscience, all that will grow rather than be suppressed constantly. So let me close in a word of prayer real quick. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the time we can come together and just learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would open my heart and my mind and just help us this week to be a witness for you. Help us to remember that we are always, you know, being seen and that you just want to help us to live a glorifying life to you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.